Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's Man, this feels like a high school class right now, trying to get people back to their seats. What's up, Larry? Hey, I tell you what, this is my favorite time of church, is the greeting time. Aren't you guys, maybe not, some people, all the introverts are like, oh man, I hate that time. But for the most part, it's a good time. Uh, it's a good time. Hey, well, welcome to uh, New Vision Church. If this is your first time with us this morning, I want you to look in the front of your seat. So in the back of your seat in front of you, there will be a little thing that says connect with us. Some of them will have pen drawn on them from my kids probably. Um, but why don't you take your phone out, take a picture, and uh, you'll fill out a connect card. And uh, someone, most likely Pastor Pete, will be connecting with you. And then take that connect card out there to the little foyer. And we have a gift for you, right? So uh, we have a little, I don't know if spoil the gift, but I'm really bad at keeping secrets. It's a coffee mug, all right? It's a coffee mug with the new vision on it, right? So I don't know, if, even if you don't like coffee, you like tea, it's a tea mug. Uh, or um, I don't know, anyone heard of mud water? Anyone heard of mud water? That's like a new thing. People are into mud water. It's kind of it's crazy and weird. But uh, well, hey, uh, you guys noticed that I am not Pastor Pete. Uh, I, I look a bit different. I'm less cool. I'm definitely younger. But... Uh, um, but uh, I mean, he started 60. He started 60. We're celebrating that in a couple of weeks. But hey, uh, Pastor Pete and Julie are off there in Ethiopia right now. They are ministering to the different churches. You know, one of the cool things about this church is that we, uh, locally here in San Diego, we're three communities, one church family. So we have this church here in City Heights. We have a church in Encanto. We have a, a Spanish-speaking church that also meets in Encanto. And if, if you guys weren't here on Friday night, we had a six-hour from 6 p.m. to midnight prayer and worship night. Uh, all together, all, all the church communities come together, one church family, uh, new vision. And uh, it was a blessing, man. It was, it was really cool. Uh, a lot of Spanish, a lot of English, a lot of praying, a lot of worship, a lot of tears. It was, it was a good night. But it just reminds me that we are a family, right? We're family here in San Diego, but then uh, Pete and Julie are off in Ethiopia with our other church family. They just went to Uganda. Um, we have a lot of different things going on over there. So um, when you guys think about it, pray for them. Uh, I know uh, they mentioned a little bit of something on the prayer night. They, they zoomed in. It's crazy what, what uh, technology can do. But they zoomed in and they told us that they were uh, a little sick at, at one point. So, and they're, they're just running. They're just going crazy. They wake up, they go teach. They teach more, they teach more, they preach more, they minister, they pray, all this stuff all day long, right, when they're over there. So uh, pray for them and their strength. We love them. And uh, also pray for safety as they continue their travels. But my name is Pastor John. I have two, uh, two roles here at this church. So I'm the uh, college young adult pastor for New Vision. So if you are in your, yes, if you are in your uh, 20s and 30s, uh, you, you're, you're welcome. Even if you're not, you're also welcome. We do not card at the door. Uh, Sunday, Sunday nights, Sunday nights at 5 p.m., we, we meet in here. And, uh, but if, if you're 20s and 30s, I'm almost 40, so uh, young adults will probably increase uh, once I turn 40, maybe 42, might be 20, 20s, 30s, and 40s. We'll see. But, uh, but I'm the college young adult pastor, so uh, you guys should come through, especially if you are in your 20s and 30s. 
Um, the other thing I do is a program director for our community development nonprofit called New Vision Urban Impact. Right, so uh, Scott Graff, Pastor Scott, is the executive director of that. And uh, we, man, we're, we're here. We, we do a lot of uh, leadership development stuff at the local high school, at Crawford High School and Hoover High School. Um, we do, uh, yeah, different life mentorship things, uh, giving kids scholarships to college, helping kids get jobs. Uh, but our mission is to help individuals and families from urban communities discover purpose through recreation, education, employment, and health. So we do a lot of different things, but you guys just saw the slide up there about the City Heights World Cup coming up in August 4th, 5th, and 6th. Anyone ever been to the City Heights World Cup? Anyone raise your hand? All right. So those of you who have your hands down, uh, next year when we say we're going to run our eighth annual, and I'm up here and I'm saying, who's been to the City Heights World Cup? I want everyone to raise their hands because it is an amazing community events, right? So Scott's been putting this on for seven years. This is the seventh annual one. And he started it because he just wanted to have uh, high quality soccer in the community. It was a community oriented, community led. The community came up with it here in City Heights. Uh, high quality soccer at an affordable price. So it's crazy, man. I don't play soccer. I get out there. I got two left feet. I'm trying. These guys are trying to kick the ball through my legs. They call it nutmegging. I learned that. Um, but they do that to me all the time and they laugh at me. But they are amazing. So we have a youth tournament, an adult tournament. It's awesome. Saturday, though, we're going to be uh, giving you guys a lot of opportunities. So go to the New Vision website, sign up to volunteer. Uh, volunteer for the whole weekend. But Saturday, we're, we're throwing a carnival in partnership with the San Diego Rec Center. So we're going to have bounce houses. We're going to have a car show. We're going to get our low rider out there. We're going to have a DJ. Uh, we're going to have uh, shave ice trucks. We're going to have free Chick-fil-A. We're going to have hopefully face painting, all this stuff. It's going to be so fun, all right? So come out. And it's an opportunity to minister and to love on the neighborhood of City Heights. All right, so that was a long introduction to the things that we are doing as a church family. But guys, it is a blessing to be a part of this place. And it's a blessing to see what God is doing in and through this church um, and through the communities that we are serving. So um, this morning, we're going to be in, we're just going to be camped out in four verses in the book of Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter five, you guys have your Bibles or your uh, phone devices, pull them out and uh, go to Hebrews chapter five, verse 11. So we're just going to be doing 11, 12, 13, 14 uh, this morning. Now, uh, before I get into that, though, I just wanted to share with you guys one of the most significant moments in Christian church history. So obviously, the most significant point in the Christian faith is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on the cross. Because without that, we would not be here and we would not have hope, right? It is through Jesus and his death and resurrection that we have life and hope for the future, for now, all these different things. But since then, since Jesus ascended, we have the book of Acts. And then from the book of Acts from today is what we would consider the last 2,000 years of church history. So one of the most significant moments in church history happened in the early fourth century. So in the early 300s, and the Christian faith fundamentally shifted. It changed. The Roman emperor at the time was a man named Constantine. And Constantine became a Christian and declared Christianity as the official religion of the Roman empire. Now, why was this arguably top three most significant moments in church history? So I would, I would say top three most significant moments are this, uh, the Reformation, 
you know, with Martin Luther and then the printing press, whenever the Bible was able to be printed in, in several different languages, right? But why was this one of the most significant moments? Before this, from Jesus' time to uh, this moment, Christians had endured hundreds of years of intense persecution. So at the worst, at the time, the, in the persecution were that Christians were hunted down and murdered for their faith. At best, what the persecution looked like was that the Christians were a minority group of people living on the margins of the Greco-Roman society. Now, during this period of opposition, if anyone wanted to profess their faith in Jesus Christ, they would have had to consider the potential risks, right? They had to consider the potential risks before they even put their faith in Christ. And some of those risks at worst were death and at best to be socially outcast, right? Now, either way, following Jesus was not glamorous, right? It wasn't like uh, shown as something that people necessarily wanted. Uh, you became a Christian because you believed that Jesus is Lord and he was worth sacrificing everything in order to follow. Now, in the early 300s, when Constantine became a Christian and made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, their perception of the faith completely changed. Power Comfort, prestige came with being a Christian. In fact, if you were not a Christian, there was probably something wrong with you. The implications of the shift were massive for the Christian community, right? So for the most part, when we initially hear that, we think, wow, that's amazing. That's really good. 100% good. No, would, you know, no, no negative at all with that. But to this day, theologians and church historians still debate whether this change was actually good or bad for the faith. Now you might be wondering why in the world would eliminating persecution, intense persecution be a bad thing? Now it's, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to not be hunted down for your faith. But looking back, Christianity became, as when they became the religion of the superpower Rome, it did have some negative consequences. And here's why I think it was partially negative. Because when you eliminate the cost of following Jesus, you eliminate the catalyst for spiritual growth. I'll say that again. When you eliminate the cost of following Jesus, you eliminate the catalyst for spiritual growth. When there is no cost, it becomes easy to give into complacency or apathy and the status quo in your relationship with God. Now, am, am I saying that in order for us to grow with God, we must be persecuted? No, not at all. That is an extreme case. But there is inherent cost with following Jesus. There just is. Romans 12.1 has this example where it says that we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices unto God. And what that means is that everything about me, my identity, my finances, my family, my kids, my sexuality, my relationships, everything are to be to surrendered unto God. And there is cost there. But in the end, the Bible promises that when we surrender to the Lord, that we receive more of Jesus, which is the greatest gift any of us could ever hope to receive. Meaning that counting the cost is worth it. The cost of following Jesus is worth it. Now, our topic this morning is going to be spiritual growth. 
And the question, asking the question is, how do I grow spiritually? Now, what does spiritual growth even look like? And how do I know if I'm growing or if I'm not growing? Now, the Bible gives us several pictures of what the end product of spiritual growth will look like and what it will produce. And it really boils down to this. The closer you get to Jesus, the more like Jesus you will become. Spiritual growth is becoming more and more like Jesus. Jesus is the end goal. And some of you may, may be new to Jesus or are not sure Jesus is someone that you'd want to be like. But if you are this way, I challenge you to take some time and to read one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and just to get to know who the person of Jesus was like. Those are kind of their biographies about who Jesus is and was. Now, becoming like Jesus, once you learn about who Jesus is and you realize like how he lived his day-to-day life, realizing that becoming more like Jesus is actually an amazing thing. It's actually something that all of us in this whole world should want to be, right? To live and to love like Jesus, to defend the powerless, to walk into the darkest places and exude light, love, and hope, to be able to stump the world's intellectual elite to not be overtaken by the lusts of the flesh, to bring healing and life to a sick and dead world. I mean, think about the father you would be if you lived and loved like Jesus. Think of the employee you would be if you lived and loved like Jesus. Think of the friend you would be if you lived and you loved like Jesus. Now, the thing with that is that becoming like Jesus is not really like an overnight thing because it doesn't take... It's like a lifetime to become like Jesus. And and honestly, I don't even know if we will on this side of heaven ever actually truly reflect and become like Jesus. It is a lifelong commitment. And unlike other religions, there is no uh, final stage of enlightenment to attain. Rather, the Christian life is about putting one foot in front of the other in faith and spending more and more time with God. Now, it sounds simple, but it is not easy. Let me tell you though, it is worth it and it is worth every second. Now there's several passages in the Bible that talk about spiritual growth. And the one we're gonna be talking about this morning in Hebrews 5 is is, is a bit stronger than maybe some of the others. It is a strong exhortation to take your walk with God seriously or to grow spiritually. And the reason why I chose this passage is because I believe that the church in America or even our church, New Vision Church, is at a spiritual crossroad. Now, in college, I was at a point in my life when I was 18, heading to college, when I was at a spiritual crossroad, right? I I was at this moment where I had to choose between uh, the uh, party life, the party frat life in college, and everything that that life entailed. Or I could choose uh, if I was going to take my faith with Jesus seriously. And I, I still, to this day, have no idea how, but I thank the Lord every day that he allowed my immature 18-year-old brain somehow to be pushed toward uh, spiritual growth rather than the other direction. Yes, it it is a miracle. It's because of prayers of my mom and dad. Now, um, women, I tell you, prayers of mothers and grandmothers uh, help the world go. So I thank you from our mothers and our grandmothers here. But the world is getting darker. There are wars, famine, oppression, droughts, natural disasters, tyrants in power. And guess what? Politicians are not going to be the solution. 
Pro athletes, movie stars, YouTubers are not going to be the solution. More money is not going to be the solution to solve our problems. And what will bring real, authentic gospel change in the world are ordinary people like you and I who are committed to growing towards spiritual maturity. So my goal in this message is really simple. It's not rocket science, right? It's really simple. Is that every single one of us would resolve in our hearts to take the next step in your life toward spiritual maturity, whatever that looks like. There's a bunch of people in this room and what that means for each person is different, but that we would resolve in our hearts to take that next step, whatever it might be, all right? So let's go ahead and get into the word this morning. So again, Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14. We're just gonna be in four verses. Now, quick, quick, quick uh, background. If you already, uh, Julie, is she did a thing for the women, a whole study on the book of Hebrews. Did anyone participate? All right. So Julie memorized the entire book, which I just think is crazy. <laughs> she memorized the entire book of Hebrews. I would have memorized something like Philemon or Third John, you know, where it's like seven <laughs> verses. And even that I have a hard time with, but she memorized the entire book. But uh, anyway, Hebrews is a letter to uh, the church in exile in the late first century. And it was a written to a, a church that was predominantly composed of Jewish Christians. Now, we still don't really know even who the author of the book is still, but based on the content, know that he was incredibly proficient in the Old Testament. And so you read through it, and there's just quote after quote after quote of the Old Testament. And it's written less like a letter that we might read from like Paul uh, to you know the Ephesians or the, the church in Ephesus, but this is written more like a sermon, like a sermon note. So when you read from the beginning to the end, it's almost like you're sitting and you're reading someone who is preaching a sermon to these people. Now, by the time we get to chapter five, the author has already uh, laid out a pretty solid theological case for why Jesus is divine, right? Why Jesus is divine. And he uses a lot of quotes to argue his case, but in chapter 5, 11, the preacher shifts gears and speaks some hard truth to his audience. So we'll begin in verse 11. It says this, there's much more we would like to say about this. And he's talking about everything he's already said in the first five chapters. There's much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. <laughs> Now, could you, could you imagine someone coming at you like this? <laughs> Some of us might need it, to be honest. I, I've needed it in my past, you know. But pretty quickly, we get from this text that the preacher is preaching to a people that have gotten passive or lazy in their walk with Jesus. Now, a lot of times when I try to understand exactly what certain words mean or the, the gravity of those words, I try to think of the opposite. So what is the opposite of spiritually dull? I would say it's someone who is spiritually vibrant. Now, what would someone who's spiritually vibrant even look like? So if you had a friend that was spiritually vibrant, what would that person even look like? I was, think, I was thinking about this, living a life of spiritual vibrancy would look like someone who is full of joy, someone full of love, someone full of patience, of kindness, gentleness, and self-control someone who is intimately connected to Jesus, someone that everyone would want to be around. Now, the Hebrews were not like this, <laughs> uh, right? They were spiritually dull. They did not listen. Instead, they were uh, passive. They, they did the absolute minimum to be considered or associated with Jesus. Now, let's see how the passage continues to break down. Verse 12 through 14. 
He says, you have been believers so long now, believers or Christians, so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now, so we learn that not only are they kind of doing the bare minimum or they've gotten apathetic about the relationship with God, but they've actually, we realize that they've actually been believers that have been Christians for a while now. Like they, they, they've been around for a while. It's not like they, they just showed up to the church and were like, oh, I just want to know Jesus now, but they've been Christians for a while. Now, I, uh, I'll be talking a little bit more about stages of spiritual growth in a, in a bit, but spiritual infancy or being a spiritual baby or infant is not inherently bad. In fact, it's like, it's, it's a normal uh, progression of how people grow. And if you think about it, think about human development or think about how people progress or how they grow, right? So we have a four month in the house, little baby Catherine, who's in the back, making some noise. Um, and sh- her drinking bottles and drinking breast milk is not weird. It's actually really, really normal, right? It's really good for a four-month baby to be drinking uh, milk, right? But think about when I go to her apartment when she's in college someday as a 20-year-old, and I open up her fridge to get something to eat, and all I see in there are baby bottles of formula or breast milk even, that would be really weird, right? That would be just be odd. So, but out of compassion or love for her, I would probably sit her down and strongly encourage her to start eating some food, right? I would strongly encourage her to start eating some food. But my point with that is saying is that when we become believers with Jesus, we're going to be in a stage as we grow and mature. And so if a spiritual infant is not necessarily even a bad thing, it's actually a great thing. It's where people are. But this is not the case with the Hebrews. This is not the case with these people. They were in trouble because they should have been spiritually mature. They should have been that 20-year-old with steak in the fridge, but instead they had the milk. Now the author is encouraging them and exhorting them not to be complacent, but instead to grow into mature Christians. Now there's two, I just want to point out two markers of spiritual maturity from verses 13 and 14. I'm just going to take two two things, but I'm going to read verses 13 and 14 again real quick. Because for someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Another translation says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness for he is an infant. In contrast, verse 14 says this, solid food is for those who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So the first marker of a spiritually mature person is this, that they have the the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now, we live in a world where truth is subjective. It changes based on how a person feels, behaves, or what they might think or believe. There are opinions or and counter opinions swirling around the world, uh, around our media, everywhere we go. I remember, uh, man, it was a crazy time. Remember the pandemic? <laughs> remember March of 2020? Oh man, that whole summer, I remember thinking I was having a really hard time discerning between what was real and what was not, what was true and what was false. I mean, everything on my news feeds, all, all the, the Instagram stuff, everything on my news platforms I was reading, 
it was so hard to discern what was real and what wasn't. It was like the election stuff, the protests, the COVID restrictions. It was crazy, right? That was a crazy time that I remember having such a hard time figuring out what is true or what isn't. Now, um, we live in that same world today where the world is, everything is subjective. It's hard to know what is real and what is false, what is true or what is not true. Now, Romans 12, 2, I want, you know, a verse that I quote more than any other verse to myself and to others is Romans 12, 1 through 2. But Romans 12, 2 says that Christians should not be conformed to this world. Now, what does conformed mean? Conformed means to become like. So what Paul is saying is don't become like the world. But um, for any of us that live in the world, which is all of us, <laughs> it's really, 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 really hard uh, to not become like our world. And part of this is because becoming like our world is our default state. Just by living and breathing and existing in our world, we will always move toward conformity. We do not have to actively do anything to conform. Just by being here, we are conforming. I don't know if you guys know anything about osmosis, right? Uh, it's this idea of that you have a semi-permeable barrier between two solutions and there will, osmosis is that liquid will always go to greater, uh, what's it called? Greater, uh, what? yeah, path of least resistance. But what am I talking about? Concentration, yes. They'll always go to higher concentration to balance it out, right? And there, it, that's just the natural thing of what it does. Osmosis, that's the natural thing of what it does. There's no work involved. And so we are in a constant state of spiritual osmosis where we're just sitting here and we will always become like our world. The world is always higher in concentration. We will always become like our world, path of least resistance. Now, Romans 12, 2, Paul says that rather than being conformed to this world, we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, this transformation of our minds in the midst of this world takes effort. It takes intentionality. It takes study. It takes work. There's a thing called reverse osmosis. The only way to make liquids go back to what it was is there needs to be some sort of pressure put on it or some sort of force to be put on it. So there has to be some sort of force to be transformed and not in the, the word of God and not be conformed to this world. And so the writer of Hebrews is stating that the spiritually mature spend their time studying the word of God and communing with him so that they know the truth and are able to discern between what is right and wrong. The spiritual infant on, in this example, on the other hand, is so immersed or conformed to this world that they lose the ability to know what is right and what is wrong. Now, the second marker of spiritual mature person is that they train themselves in order to know the difference between what is right and wrong. So you see this in verse 14. It says, solid food is for those who through training have skill. Now, the spiritual infant, on the other hand, hasn't put in the work. The Greek word for doesn't know or not accustomed to suggests a lack of skill that is linked with a lack of practice. Now, what is so interesting about this contrast between the two is that it isn't necessarily about how much knowledge you have about God or about the Bible. Rather, the distinguishing factor between the spiritually mature and the spiritual immature is not about knowledge, but mainly about putting the knowledge into practice or trains in their faith. 
Now, New Vision, we have a discipleship curriculum that if you want to take, obviously you come through, you say you want to be a part of the church. We take you out to coffee and dinner and all this stuff. And we're like, yeah, come be a part of the family and everything like that. But then if you want to take the next step in your relationship with God, we have like a four-week discipleship content uh, that we would love everyone to go through. And so what it consists of four lessons, and I always refer to these lessons as the fundamentals of the faith, right? The fundamentals of the faith. Now, if anyone plays sports or anyone has an instrument, uh, we, got, we got Danny Bowl over here. He just competed in this uh, jujitsu competition in Tijuana, took first place in his weight class. Let's go. But if anyone plays sports or uh, martial arts or competes in anything or has an instrument, you know that if you want to excel, you have to master the fundamentals. Now, how do you master fundamentals? Practice, right? Practice, practice the fundamentals. Everyone wants to be like Steph Curry on the basketball court, including me. You know, you run up and it's like three, air ball. Um, Everyone wants to be like Steph Curry, but I read this article about how Steph Curry, to this day, practices with his team, and then after practice, shoots 500 shots. And the last hundred are always threes. That's how this man is the best three-point shooter ever because he practices and masters the fundamentals. It comes from spending time practicing the fundamentals. It is the same with the fundamentals of faith. There are essential fundamentals necessary for the growth of a person. So some of the the fundamentals of the faith that I was talking about are things that we, if we've been around the church for any amount of time, all have an understanding of. But fundamentals of the faith are things like this, reading the Bible alone and with others, studying it. I I tell you what, listen, the Bible app, if you don't have it, the YouVersion Bible app is amazing, right? It is like, you go on there and there are hundreds of Bible studies or devotions that you can do on any given topic. You have like, a three-day one, you can do like a whole, read the Bible in a year one. I mean, it is crazy the kinds of things that you have access to on the YouVersion Bible app. But you can even sign up for these little devotionals and they, you say that you want a notification to remind you. And every day at 9 a.m., it'll remind you, hey, have you done your Bible app read it, Bible reading for the day? Now, a lot of us need that. We need the notification to remind, remind ourselves at a certain point in a day to do that. I want to encourage us to train in the fundamentals, we need to actually be reading the Bible to transform our minds to be like and know what God says. The other one is if you want to learn more about the Bible and you don't want to pay all this money to go to seminary, there's this website called thebibleproject.com. Now, if you want to write that down, it's these little videos. This, this Old Testament theologian, this brilliant guy decided he wanted to take all the, the, the hard concepts of the Bible and of the Greek and Hebrew languages and make them so fun and relatable that he made these videos that are like three to five minute animated videos. It's not like the, that kind of animated, you know what I'm saying, of like the children animated, but it's like these amazing things that I, you know, I feel like I watch these videos and I start crying every time. It really just, uh, it, it, they're just amazing things. So if you want to learn more about the Bible, they have studies uh, and a podcast, but they also have these things that give an introduction to every book in the Bible to say, we're, you know, we're about to do Ecclesiastes as a church. So if you want to do some homework, you can go look at the Ecclesiastes overview and watch that video. So when Pete, Pastor Pete's asking questions, you're saying stuff and he's like, whoa, you already knew about it, right? So let's do the work and get in the Bible. Fundamental. 
The second thing is spending time with, in prayer, alone and with others. So we obviously just had a, uh, a church prayer night from 6 p.m. to 12 a.m. It was a blessing to pray with other people um, to come before God. And prayer is simply just communicating with God. After service, every single Sunday, we have pastors and leaders up here that would want to pray with you. Take advantage of that. Tuesday night prayer nights on Zoom, on Facebook Live, whatever it is. Take advantage of those things. Pray alone and with others. Another one is fellowship of believers. So that's in many reasons why we come to church. What is the purpose of church? Yes, it is to listen to the word of God being preached, but it's also to, to be with people who believe in the same thing, to commune, to commune with each other and to have fellowship with each other, to, con, to encourage each other. Because guys, when we get out of here, Monday through Saturday has all kinds of hard things. There's family hardships, there's work hardships, there's financial hardships, and we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to be to have our backs. And I'm not just saying to have our backs. This church is to have our backs in all kinds of things. If you guys need help with anything, man, this church is about helping in physical needs, all kinds of things. But we also are even more committed to helping you with our spiritual needs. If you're struggling or wrestling with frustration or uh, discouragement or anything, we are here and we're committed to fellowshipping with you, praying with you, and encouraging you. And finally, another fundamental of the faith that we have to practice in order to master and to grow spiritually is the practicing confession. So confession to God and to others. Uh, James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results, right? So confess our sins to each other. A lot of us are wrestling through different things, either from our past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago that we've never really talked to anybody about. And it's like this dark place in our hearts that is kind of what I would, it's kind of like festering. It's like a, it's like a, a sickness that we, we, we have all this stuff that has happened, but we've never actually talked about it. We've never presented it to the Lord and been forgiven. We haven't presented it to our brothers and sisters and had them say, hey, you're forgiven. We love you. Let's pray with you. We've never done that kind of thing. Well, even what's more real is what happened yesterday or the day before. It is a, you know, if you do it, the, the discipleship, lesson two or three is about the relationship or the fellowship with God. And one of the main things about how do we fellowship with God and fellowship with others is that we confess our sins to one another. It is scary. There's this woman, Brene Brown. I don't think she's in a Christian, but she wrote about this whole thing and studies on vulnerability and the idea that when we are vulnerable with each other, that it actually is the antithesis of shame. If you feel ashamed, how do we eliminate shame? It's to actually be vulnerable and to share with our brothers and sisters the deep, dark places and the things that are going on. Now, that's, uh, that's not even a, a Christian woman saying that, but for the Bible, it's the same concept. When we confess our sins and the hard things that are going on, then we allow the grace of God to minister to our hearts and souls and begin to transform our lives. The Bible calls that living in the light, right? Rather than the darkness, living in the light. So confession of our sin to one another and to God is a fundamental that we must practice if we are going to grow spiritually. A commentator said this about this passage. It said, spiritual maturity comes neither from isolated events nor from a great spiritual burst. It comes from a steady application of spiritual discipline. A lot of times we want to 
you know, we come to know Jesus and we want to be Billy Graham. You know, we want to get a platform and preach to thousands of people and just tell people about how great God is. And there are opportunities where we can do that. But what God, I think, is asking and what the, the, the preacher of Hebrews is saying to the Hebrew church at this time is, it's actually in the day-to-day. It's in the moment-by-moment. It's in the engaging in the practices of the faith to grow into spiritual maturity. Now, um, to wrap up, the application of this time is that there are different stages of spiritual growth. Um, the other day, my wife and I, uh, it was kind of, man, yeah, we have four little kids. Those of you who are parents and have grown kids or, or anyone that, you know, have kids, you, uh, you guys know this moment. After they're all down for bed, you kind of come in, you look at your spouse, and you're just like, <sighs> how's it going? Good, good, tired? Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Um, and so we were, we were in the kitchen and... Uh, you know, our two-year-old, Claire, you see, uh, you see her run around. She's, she's honestly the cutest, the cutest thing ever. The other day, she was on the ground. She put her leg up like that. She said, Daddy, look at my arabesque. You know, if you do ballet, you know what that is. I didn't know what that was until I had a daughter. And it was very cute. Uh, but she's also a firecracker. She's the most two of any of our kids thus far. So the most stereotypically two. And uh, her first word and most verbalized word uh, to this day is no, you know. Um, so, I, you know, I tell you, so I came into the kitchen and my wife was there and I was like, what the heck is up with this girl, right? And then my wife, she was very graciously was kind of reminded me of the developmental stage that she's in. She's in the independent stage. Two-year-olds are in the independent stage. And what they do in their human development is they grow in autonomy because they're recognizing that they are their own people, that they have an individual nature. That's why they call it the terrible twos or the three-nager, right? Twos and threes. But they're establishing autonomy, and so it is frustrating most of the time. But it was a good reminder that she is exactly where she should be, right? She's exactly where she should be. And so, (laughs) yeah. So now a lot of this is that we have seen what's true of the the people, the Hebrews, but what about us? What about us? So I don't have the time to get into the different stages of spiritual growth, but basically, where are you? Where are you on your spiritual journey? Every single one of us is on a spiritual journey, whether we believe in Jesus or we don't. Whether we... Uh, have had experience with Jesus in the past or whether we've been Christians for 30, 40, 50 years. We are on a spiritual growth plan. And a couple of things I wanted to even mention about our spiritual growth is where you are is where you are and that is okay, right? Where you are today is where you are. A lot of times when we give into the shoulds, I should be somewhere else, what that does is it produces guilt or shame inside of us that is unnecessary, we are where we are, and that is okay. But where you are, thank you, Miss Julie. But where you are now is not where you want to be tomorrow. Okay, so where you are, where you are now is it's okay, but you don't want to be where you are now today, tomorrow. And so what that means is our goal should be spiritual maturity. 
Our growth should be to grow spiritually and to practice the fundamentals. Now, a couple other comments is the first, is next is that spiritual growth is dynamic. It is not static. And what I mean by that is static is something that is not unmoving, does not move. It stays in the same place. Spiritual growth, rather, is dynamic. It is moving. It is shifting. It is growing. It is shrinking. It is moving constantly. And so there's never a place. I, I gave my life went to Jesus when I was nine, and I'm turning 38 this year. So almost, that's crazy, almost 30 years of being a Christian, right? But I tell you what, I've never reached a certain place and, and, and stayed there right? In fact, it, I, I could go to seminary and do all these things and have these degrees, but if I do not practice the fundamentals or if I do not practice or relate my relationship with God, then I, there, I can go back and be qualified like the Hebrews and have to have someone come at me and say, hey, you're being spiritually lazy. You should be teaching people. You should be preaching with people, but no, you're not. I'm having to remind you that, hey, John, you should probably be reading your Bible today. You're right. And so it is dynamic. It can grow and, and, and grow. Finally, spiritual growth is a marathon, not a sprint. Growth takes time and intentional investment over time, right? I, 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 I've ran a marathon. It's probably the only marathon I'll ever run. Um, but it, it mainly just because of, man, that training is crazy. You know, for eight months, I was out there running in, in, in rain, Sun, there's no snow because we're in Southern California, but you know what I mean. I was out there training because I knew if I didn't train, it would be a terrible day at the marathon race. And it was, I mean, it wasn't terrible. But, um, but anyways, it, ta- it takes long investment and discipline over time to have a goal to complete the long race. So my question for you, this church, you have incredible resources for spiritual growth. You have incredible resources. In fact, to a fault, I feel like we as a church have too many programs and too many opportunities for spiritual growth. We have women's ministries, men's ministries, young adult ministries, youth ministries, kids ministries, family ministries, prayer ministries. We have uh, uh, Celebrate Recovery ministries. We have, what am I missing? Boxing. Boxing ministries. We have 55 plus ministries. We have all kinds of stuff. But listen, all these are designed so that we are giving everyone in the the pews and us in the chairs and us as pastors opportunities to take that next step towards spiritual growth. And my challenge to each one of you is where are you in your spiritual walk with Jesus now? And how are we gonna get to the next step tomorrow? If you don't know how, which I don't know how often, if you do not know how or what that looks like for you, my job as a pastor, our jobs as pastors, is to help you know how to take that next step wherever you are to spiritual growth. And so my challenge to you is to come to one of the pastors and to ask, how do I grow in my relationship with Jesus? And then what we'll do is we'll go before the Lord, we'll pray, and then we'll start talking about where are you? Where are you at? What are you, what, and let's, let's put out a game, a game plan for spiritual growth. That's called discipleship, right? So, May we be as a church, remember the goal was that we, each one of us would resolve in our hearts to take the next step where we're at towards spiritual maturity and growth, okay? So I'm gonna go ahead and pray real quick and we'll get some communion. God, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you that you are here right now. 
God, we thank you that we couldn't even grow, no matter how much effort we, we produce, it, without your Holy Spirit, we couldn't grow. The Holy Spirit, you are what helps us grow. God, in John 15, you talk about how attached to the vine, we will grow. Apart from you, we could do nothing. So Lord, may we have the faith to attach ourselves to you. May we have the ability and the resolve in our hearts that comes from you, Holy Spirit, the conviction that we're experiencing in our hearts right now, wherever we're at. Lord, may we, you give us the conviction to be able to take that next step of, of, of spiritual growth. Lord, for those in the room that do not know you and are curious about you, may you give them the resolve to take that next step to know you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. For those who've been uh, walking with you for a long time, but are feeling a little bit stagnant or apathetic in the relationship with God, may you give us the resolve by the conviction of your Holy Spirit to take that next step to, to, to knowing you deeper. For those of us who are newish to our faith, may you help us convict us in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit to resolve to take that next step toward spiritual maturity. God, I thank you so much for your word. And God, I pray protection over this body and this community. I pray protection over Pete and Julie as they're abroad. Lord, I pray that you would protect us from the, from the enemy's uh, schemes and lies and all these things that are trying to hold us back to be spiritual infants when we should be spiritually mature. God, may we be spiritually mature and that you would use us as a church to be the lights of your gospel to these communities, to be the lights of your gospel to our neighborhoods, to be lights of the gospel into our working spaces, wherever we are, whatever spaces we occupy, may we not be conformed to this world, but may we be transformed by the renewing of our minds in your word and that we would transform through the power of your gospel, the communities and spaces that we occupy. Lord, we thank you for being with us this morning. We thank you for your joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.